Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Keezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and SoundCloud. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another excellent show for you. I'll talk to the new Long Island University men's hockey coach, Brett Riley, who used to coach at Albany Academy. Later on, ESPN Raiders' Freddie Coleman joins me as we go around the sports world. Well, how can I describe my first guest? Well, he is the preeminent voice of the NHL and NBC. He has won seven Sports Emmy Awards for his play-by-play work, including six in a row. More importantly, he is a wonderful human being, and he has been a great friend to my family. Please welcome Mike Emmerich. Doc, hello, and how are you doing? Great to catch up with you I'm doing wonderfully, Ken, and it's great to talk to someone who has gone back in hockey almost as far as I have. I you don't look as old, though. <laughs> well, I age. I age. I, I, I grew up in Philadelphia, you know, going to the Flyers games, season ticket holder, you know, being there on May 19th, 1974, and I was glad to see NBCSN uh, uh, re-air the game a couple weeks ago uh, when the Flyers uh, won the Stanley Cup for the first time, and a lot of great memories of that day uh, going to the game. And then actually that night, I mean, they had actually a, the, the debut of the Philadelphia Wings lacrosse uh, team that night. So they had, I don't know how they got the guys off the ice and put a floor down and played lacrosse that day. Well, there was a um, uh, there was someone I spoke to during this period of time in the last three months who said, um, if you see the video again, watch for me, because I was a kid and I was wearing a red shirt and I scrambled over the short glass and I was on the ice. Well, there were a lot of people on the ice that day, but he can still pick himself out. Yeah, I know. They're trying to figure out there's one guy who is actually in the handshake line with a bottle of champagne and shaking hands with the Bruins. I think the Flyers are trying to find out who this guy was because I think they want to have him on as a guest on their uh um, YouTube uh, channel. <laughs> Those are all fun times. I know that when we had the main Mariners, which was the Flyers' uh, top farm team, and they won the championship the first first of two years that they won it in 78, uh, Ed Snyder and his wife at the time, Myrna, were in Portland, and they thought it was wonderful that some of the fans scrambled over the glass there, too, because that's what had happened in Philadelphia. Yeah, well, now you can't do that now. The glass is so high. and uh, you know, Yeah. You know. Yeah, things have changed that way. Yeah, it used to be. One of the other advantages of that short glass, and again, uh, for those uh, who are under 50, I suppose, who don't remember that era or under 40, the glass was so low that fans could stand on the front row during the warm-up, and it was normal for players before they left the ice to come by, and if you offered a pen and a program, they would sign autographs, and that was just normal. That was normal procedure for players to do before they would leave from the warm-up before the game. Yeah, I, I, uh, I did that many it was times. Normal. I did that many times. In fact, you know, sometimes a bunch of us go to the uh, visiting bench. And uh, I once got a stick from Washington Capitals, Billy Collins. Yeah, he was he was a good guy. I remember when he played for Detroit. I used to watch him play. He's an aggressive player, but a good guy. Yeah. Well, let's uh, before I go get talk about hockey. Um, I mean, we mentioned it before we went on the air. My mom uh, said to say hello, and as I mentioned, you've been a family friend for a long time. You knew my late father when he uh, you were working uh, with the Flyers on television. And he was the president of the fan club, and I. Yeah, I, you know, of course, I you know, got to meet you when you were 
in Hershey. You're living, you're living in Hershey while doing the Flyers games on TV, and uh, you've been wonderful to uh, my family and all that, and I appreciate that. Oh, no. You know, hockey fans are wonderful people, and you get to know of them. Uh, you get to know them early, and the one thing about them is they're so loyal to the game that they stay around a long time. And I've been treated really well by some fan clubs that don't exist anymore. Uh, Port Huron Flags and Maine Mariners of the Flyers era. And now the Maine Mariners are back as an ECHL team and with a different affiliation uh, affiliated with the Rangers. So things things change, but sometimes they remain the same. The same. And the Hershey Bears still invite me back once in a while, which yeah. is nice. Yeah, that was, uh, of course, Hershey Park Arena, it's still there, thankfully. And I... That, and we'll talk about more about Hershey a little bit later. But let's get into um, the NHL. Uh, it, you know, last week was announced that they have, they have a plan to come back. 2014 Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, how excited are you? I mean, what do you think to, to get back? Well, of course, we're, we're thrilled with the fact that there are plans made. Uh, when I was a kid, which, of course, um, I think Truman was president. Good grief. Uh, but one of the things we'd do is we'd go out on the sandlot and play baseball, and we'd uh, throw the bat in the air, and then we'd move our hands uh, one side and the other up the bat, and whoever wound up with their hand at the very top of the bat would get to choose uh, take field or bat first. So what this press conference to me last week seemed like was just establishing what the rules would be uh, if we ever got to play, and to continue the baseball analogy, uh, when, you, when you get your hands to the top, okay, we've established uh, who gets to choose, but then it pours down rain, and we're all standing there watching, wondering when we're going to get to play. The virus will determine when we get to play. But at least rules have been established for the 24-team tournament, and uh, that it will take place in a couple of cities, and all the things that most of your listeners know about now. But there are so many other uncertainties, uh, and... Um, you know, phases three and four still have to be negotiated, uh, and phases three and four are the most important ones to the fans because that involves training camps and, and competition. So we have a uh, we have a wait ahead of us, and fortunately, the league has said that this is going to be on a sliding scale, and of course, there will be no health issues that will be jeopardized, and so this scale could be slid and slid and slid along until it's safe to have any kind of competition whatsoever. I mean, how strange is it going to be to see NHL playing in July and August? <laughs> well, it will be odd, won't it? Uh, we've seen training camps before for uh, World Cups and things like that that have taken place in the latter part of the summer and in the fall before the NHL seasons have started. But to have anything going on like this, um, this is this is like nothing that's ever happened before and so we just uh learned to adjust with it in terms of the downtime um like you i've been through three of these before the difference of course is we had other competition to watch you were right there in the midst of college hockey hotbed as well as american league so you had other games to watch uh, we did not have that luxury this time as everything else was shut down as well and so we just have to wait and watch I was talking with uh, Sam Carcidi for the Philadelphia Inquirer last week, and we were just talking about the format of this uh, Stanley Cup playoffs, and he was thinking it should have been just eight teams instead of 24 because that way, just a shorter amount of time, you get it done and get it over with, and you can really have a, basically a, a regular, a true regular season next year. But with this 2014 format, we're, we're looking maybe 
uh, late September, early October for the uh, before the Stanley Cup is presented. Uh, what are your thoughts? Should it means does twenty four sound right to you, or should it have been less? Well, I think the day that the day after Eddie Olczyk and I took the elevator ride down from uh, United Center in Chicago after our game between San Jose and Chicago, we had a sense that something was going to happen that was going to slow us down, and who knew it was going to who knew it was going to grind to a halt and last this long. But at least we knew something was going to happen that was going to put us on pause. We knew that whatever was going to rejoin was not going to be fair to everybody. And sure enough, it it uh, was a fairness that involved all but seven of the teams rather than 31 getting a chance to play more games. But I think that <laughs> probably the ultimate unfairness came to Buffalo uh, because, you know, they're missing the playoffs for the ninth straight year. But I'm not sure if you were aware that when the pause hit, on the 12th, Buffalo was destined to play Montreal that night. Mm-hmm. And had Buffalo won that game in regulation, they would have passed Montreal in points percentage, and they would have, in the ultimate uh, designation of this tournament, they would have finished 24th. They would be playing Pittsburgh and not Montreal. Wow. I mean, you know, in Buffalo, fans have had just about enough over the years uh, going back to Brad Hall's goal in 99. <laughs> I mean, they, they felt really wronged over the years, and here was another one when it just didn't work out to, to their advantage. But yeah. uh, it was not going to be fair to everybody. Uh, but uh, this is what they've designed, and so uh, so we just go with it if we get the chance to do it. And that's the one thing that we always have to qualify is that we don't know if we're going to get the chance, but we hope we do. Yeah. I mean, it seems like hockey has its house in order where you look at Major League Baseball and they're arguing over uh, money. And it's, it seems like you know, Major League Baseball is going to kill itself while the NHL, at least, I mean, I know they've had, as you mentioned, they've had some work stoppages in the past, but, I mean, at least they have, they have, they have a plan and they're ready to execute it and the players seem to be on board. Yes. Um, you, you have to recognize, too, that, um, that our group is – between 18 and 42, and to my knowledge, none of them have children in their families that have gone off as adults. We have family units that are all at home, and so this winds up becoming a very significant situation for them. Uh, we have learned from last week's announcement that the traveling party will be 50. Uh, what we've understood is that the skating roster will be at 24 and that an unlimited number of goaltenders. So if you, if you calculate, okay, 27, 28 plus equipment men, and there will have to be several of those, you aren't going to shortchange those, nor trainers, mm-hmm. nor team doctors, nor coaches, nor assistant coaches, nor communications people, you're going to get to 50 pretty fast. Yeah. So it's it's going to have a limit placed on it pretty quickly, and so the time away from family is going to be significant. Uh, there's going to have to be a lot of FaceTiming and a, a lot of Zoom meetings between families, and you consider two small children. Um, this, this is going to be quite a sacrifice should it take place because there are 10, as, as most of your listeners know, there are 10 cities that will be eventually whittled down to two. And there will be um, substantial time away. Yeah. Speaking of uh, 
substantial time away. I mean, has it been decided for you guys yet uh, what you're going to be doing? Are you going to be at these hub cities, or are you going to be back in the uh, studio in Stamford, Connecticut? No, we don't know. Uh, we're, we're not certain yet as to what will happen, and that will probably become clarified to us as, as time passes before the end of June. But, uh, no, we're not aware yet as to what happens. Uh, I am preparing uh, rosters for 24 teams. And if you were to ask today, are you going to, which series I would like to have for the first one, I think Chicago and Edmonton is going to be really interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, you could make a case for any of them. But, um, you know, Patrick Kane has never had a playoff series, despite the fact they're in the same conference against Connor McDavid before. But you consider the value that Mike Smith had for Calgary in the playoffs last year and, and had them hanging in against Colorado the way that he did, and now he's he's been with Edmonton, and what Corey Crawford has just done in the past for Chicago, and you have the top two scorers with with Dreisaitl and McDavid, and you have Kane and Taves, and, and, and rested and healthy uh, Duncan Keith, and, uh, you know, you can just go down the lineup, and this is as open a tournament to handicap as you can have, it seems to me, because almost everybody's healthy on every team. And you just don't know who is better conditioned within a team's roster than anybody else. Because one of the other things that I've been thinking of is that, and this is not a unique thought with me, I'm sure, but we haven't compared notes with a lot of other guys around the league because we've just had time to sit and think on our own. Uh, Normally, if a guy's on a team that misses the playoffs, uh, he winds up being done in early April, and then he'll take a vacation or something, but he'll get some ice underneath his skates probably in May Mm -hmm. or maybe early June, but they will never have four months off before they wind up having a camp and if you figure from the middle of March until the middle of July when there might be a training camp again, boy, that's a long time. Yeah. And the muscles that you need, unlike in baseball, football, and basketball where you run, the muscles that you need to skate in hockey are far different. And even though some of the guys in Sweden or maybe uh, some of the luckier Columbus guys who have Cam Atkinson's rink to skate on or in other circumstances, some will be luckier than others, but... Uh, it's it's going to be zero to one hundred RPMs for a lot of guys once they once they get phase two, and then once they get camp going. So we won't have any idea how to handicap this, or at least I won't. Maybe some of the brighter people like yourself and others will, but I I won't have any idea how to how to handicap it. So to me, it's going to be an open tournament, and from that standpoint, for me, it's going to be a lot of fun. Doc Emmerich uh, joining us here on the Party Shots podcast. Doc, yeah, we're living in times that most of us have really never gone through, starting with the, uh, the coronavirus pandemic. Now we're seeing upheaval across uh, this country after the murder of George Floyd by a Minneapolis uh, cop. Seeing a number of athletes come out and express their thoughts about that, and that includes many of the NHL teams and its players. I mean, how can sports help in this time of crisis? I don't know. don't have an, an answer to that because by the time that we are going to, other than the statements that have been made by teams and individuals, 
we're not going to have organized games that will be played until much later. So any kind of salve that competition and games could provide aren't going to be for a while yet. And so the time that passes between now and then uh, is the time that really help has to continue to, to come and healing has to take place. Um, Ken, not everyone may want to hear this because uh, not all see the world the same way. Mm-hmm. I made a faith choice early in life. It doesn't make me better than anybody else, believe me, and I make mistakes, but maybe in some cases uh, I'm different. Dr. King spoke at our little college in Indiana when I was a senior in 1968. I don't know how we got him to come there. Of course, he was impressive and in that era, and it was very violent in the 60s as well. Mm-hmm. When a president, uh, a presidential candidate later, and later he himself were assassinated, the man never picked up a rock or fired a gun. And then and now, as one person, I can't begin to soothe the pain or raise or confusion or anything else. But I believe God can and God does and God will keep at it. And so we who say we are believers have to keep at it, too. We can't let these awful days tear us apart. And because I have faith, I have to resist seeing anyone else as an enemy. Black lives matter to God, and they need to matter more to all of us who say we are children of God. What that means for me is trying to treat everyone with worth and hoping that it gets passed on. And in whatever platform I have encouraging the same, I still believe that good can get passed on. This may be a flimsy analogy, but once in a while, um, at a drive-thru, when I, when I go through a drive-thru, I see a car behind me, and I'll, I'll pick up the tab for the car behind me. I don't know how much it'll be. I don't know who those people are. I'll probably never know them or see them again. And the same way goes on with respect and kindness to others. More than likely, I won't know the people I'm meeting on the street or maybe in an arena or holding out a hand wanting some money. I probably won't see them again, but that's not the point. The point is that perhaps respect and kindness will get passed on by them to someone else. And between now and the time that we have games, that's all I got for you. I um, that's good, 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 good thought there. I was um, posted last night on social media. I'm actually doing a little streaming here on uh, Facebook Live. Some people have some questions for you. Uh, Bob Suda is asking, "What are your concerns about?" impacting the following season or even seasons, I mean, is it worth playing the playoffs? That's one of the things that I know was asked of Donald Fair. And uh, he said that that's one of the items that will come up for negotiation is a cushion between one and the other. So I, I am only quoting him. I don't have an answer to that other than the fact that they will they will be discussing that, and we will learn from them. Good question, Bob. Um, Sue Sowers Grove from Hershey. Uh, she just says, "Always great to see you." From Hershey. Yes, yes uh, I know. Ah. <laughs> uh, she's always, she's saying it's always great to see us and uh, listen to our my interviews, and especially with you today. And she says, "Thank you, thank you." Um, 
Another question here um, from Frank John. Mike is the biggest supporter of the fan in hockey. As uh, we know, Ken being involved with the NHL fan clubs for as long as we have, Mike would never turn you down to speak at a meeting and especially interrupt his vacation to be a guest speaker at one of our conventions. I can go on praising this wonderful man. I will end the word. No is not in Mike's vocabulary. Thank you and love you, Mike. Oh, that's wonderful. I remember East Rutherford and Atlantic City and uh, a lot of other places. And, uh, you know, the, the fans are the backbone of the sport. I mean, you hear this constantly said. I remember hearing an interview. How much time do we have? Yep, we're good. Keep going. Oh, okay. <laughs> I remember hearing an interview on Sirius XM last week with Howard Dolgan, who is the uh, owner of the Syracuse Crunch. And he said, as he was trying to project ahead on when his team in the American League would wind up having games, he said, I would love to say October or November, but he said for reasons uh, that our sport in our league is predominantly paid for by sponsorships and tickets sold to fans. We're probably looking at December, January before we can have, we have to have fans in the seats and we have to be able to have them safe and feel like they're safe. And so for that reason, it's probably going to be the later months rather than sooner because we we really have to survive on, on the sale of tickets and fans are the backbone of the sport. There's no other way to say it. And so it's not because it's necessarily financial that I attend these meetings, but just because I love hearing their stories and and I love asking a fan about the first game that they ever attended because it's amazing what they'll remember about it. And I remember my first game, the date, the teams, and what I remember most about walking into the arena because as much as we love televising the sport, it's a sport that is wonderful live, yeah. and you never forget your first live experience. I actually remember seeing the Quebec Aces play a game at the Spectrum when I was a kid. That's how far I go. Well, back. you can't be that old. Oh, yeah, I'm 56. <laughs> <laughs> the Quebec Aces were wonderful, and uh, they became the precursors. They were the Flyers farm team, of course, and they became uh, later the Nordiques and, uh, and later the Colorado Avalanche. Yes. Um, one before let's before we wrap this up, I want to um, talk about one of our dear dear friends uh, we knew in Hershey, uh, the late Steve Summers, and something you uh, always read at the end of the Stanley Cup Final that he wrote after the Hershey Bears completed their twelve and zero run in the Calder Cup Finals in nineteen eighty eight. Uh, do you have that, Mike? Oh, I don't think that's ever going to happen again. And as soon as I say that. You know, there'll probably be some team that'll roll right through, and, and at that time it was three rounds. The the episodes in life that last so many years in memory are often measured in fleeting minutes as they happen. Uh, it was uh, Steve passed uh, so many years ago, but it's still one of the great memories, and it was, it was on the bulletin at his funeral because it was one of the great things that he wrote, among others. I saved a number of, I was a saver and an analog guy, and I still am. I saved a number of the articles that he wrote, including one that I believe was written around the time of the players' strike in the NHL in 92. And he 
talked about the owners meeting uh, down in Florida uh, on the beach sitting at round tables discussing uh, the next strategy between the owners and the players. And he talked about them looking longingly out at the golf course, twirling the parasols in their drinks. Now, who has the creativity to write that? I don't. Maybe you do, but Steve Uh, Summers did. And isn't it strange that almost 30 years later, I still remember the phrase, looking longingly toward the golf course, twirling the parasols in their <laughs> But he was a wonderful writer, and uh, I was so glad that in 1995, when the Devils won the championship, his son, Pat, who uh, lived in Mechanicsburg, would, would ride up with me and served as my statistician for Devils Telecast on Fox, as well as in the regular season. And so Pat got to see a championship won in the Stanley Cup presented in New Jersey as uh, my statistician, and he now works in Washington and has had quite a career in the media yes. uh, after that. I mean, that was, uh, you know, I, I broke in with the York Daily Record. Actually, my junior year uh, at York College of Pennsylvania, I took over the Hershey Bears beat, you know, shortly after I got graduated from college. And I, I Steve was my mentor. Uh, he just, he was, was he? Yeah, he took me under my wing. We, you know, enjoyed it. And I learned a hell of a lot from it. I remember the, the one great story I had with, about Steve was that the night, uh, the Hershey Bears came back from a like two nothing deficit to beat the Utica Devils uh, three to two, and Chris Terry was playing lights out for the Devils, and he, the, the uh, Devils just you know basically stopped playing hockey to try to you know protect the two nothing lead and the Blues, and and we go to time talk to Tommy McVie afterwards, and Tommy McVie just livid, and Steve Summers goes bad goes they ask uh, about uh, too bad for Terry and John uh, Tommy McVie goes and I'll try to do it his voice. Too bad for Terry, too bad for me, but this is what you get in this DD hockey game. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure that I looked, I quoted him well. I looked at Steve and was like, oh my God, this that was. I, I learned a lot from him. I, I miss him dearly, and I just. Uh, it's, it's, he was a wonderful man. He sure had a way of writing sports with a certain. Uh, uh, a, a certain ability to make it sound educated, even more than than the average person that would describe it or write it. Yep. Well, Doc, I appreciate uh, spending some time with you this afternoon, and uh, hope all is well with you and your wife. And uh, and hopefully, we'll get to see you back on the air in uh, July sometime with some hockey, Stanley Cup playoffs, and uh, we'll get drop the button, get going. Okay, we'll look forward to it, and it's great to talk to you again after all this talk. I appreciate it. That's uh, Doc Emmerich. Coming up, we'll keep the hockey team going as new Long Island University head coach and former Albany Academy prep hockey coach Brett Riley joins the show to discuss starting a new NCAA Division I program. You're listening to the Party Shots podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and SoundCloud. NASCAR fans, it's time to rev up the engines and play the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest. Each week during the 36-week racing season, you pick 10 drivers. If you have the week's best point total, you'll receive a $50 Hannaford gift card. If you have the best point total for the season, you'll win a $250 Hannaford gift card. Be part of the fun. 
dailygazette.com slash autoracing. Get your motor running and play today. Welcome back to the podcast. My next guest was recently named the head hockey coach for the Long Island University men's team, and he'll guide them through their inaugural season in 2020-2021. He's no stranger to starting programs. A couple of years ago, he started the Wilkes University program down in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. He's also the former head hockey coach at Albany Academy. Here's my interview with Brett Riley. Brett, well, thanks for coming on the podcast, and uh, congratulations on the job. Just yeah, it's a, sort of a whirlwind. I mean, the, uh, this program suddenly announces Division One. Now you're a head coach for the, a Division One hockey program. Uh, congratulations, as I said. I mean, how's it feel? Uh, awesome. I couldn't be more excited right now um, to take on this mission uh, and represent LIU as we look to put a hockey team on the ice. And, Certainly a short period of time here. When uh, LIU announced there was going to program, how interested were you? I mean, knowing that they're, they're, they're trying to get ready for to play uh, this coming season. Uh, extremely interested. Um, it's it's something I've done before at Wilkes University. Uh, had a little bit more time, um, but like I said, a challenge that I'm ready for, and um, couldn't be more excited uh, to do this year. Yeah, you mentioned Wilkes uh, College. Uh, you you, know, you coached there one year. The program had some great success. How, how many years did you have at Wilkes to, to get ready to start that program? We had about 10 months to get ready um, and start that program. In the Division Three world of recruiting, some great things happened late. Um, so while we started early, it wasn't instant success. It was stay at it, stay at it, stay at it in terms of the recruiting piece. Um, so sure, a, a little more time. Um, but in that year on the road, I learned a lot of valuable lessons that I can hopefully uh, apply this time around. Yeah. Uh, you, you're obviously not a stranger to starting the program. What's it going to be like to get a program like LIU off the ground this quickly, uh, uh, especially now with, you know, with the uh, situation everybody's in with the pandemic? Um, it, it's going to be a challenge, but like I said, it's one that I welcome and embrace. Um, Long Island is a hockey crazy area and there's no shortage of players there's a lot of good players you know throughout North America and Europe still looking for homes for us it's about doing our due diligence and finding the right young men um, that will fit in and buy into the mission you know culture will be a huge thing for us and you know we want to build the right brand with the right people Um, and that's a lesson I learned at Wilkes is it takes the right people to make the place so we are on it and um won't stop until we get the right group on campus. In a, a strange way, do you think maybe this pandemic maybe helps you a little bit because we, who knows when the season is going to start and you maybe have a little more time to at least you know, try to find some players? A hundred percent. In the weirdest way, it does. I think there's so many things up in the air um, with team scheduling, games open, opening up, regional travel. Um, so it certainly helped on the scheduling front. On the recruiting front, it's kind of halted things, um, which we're going to use to our advantage. Um, so, while things may be slowing down for some, um, they're speeding up for us, and we're going to use it to our advantage in every way we can. Yeah. I, obviously, you have some ties here to the Capital Region, uh, coaching at Albany Academy for three years. Uh, what was it like coaching at Albany Academy? Awesome. Um, it was a great experience right out of school. Uh, I learned a lot. Um, quickly, 
I was really fortunate to be around a lot of good people and good players. Um, obviously, a unique situation with being a day school um, and hitting the you know local Albany area to get players, but also find homes for kids from outside the area. So um, it was a great experience um, in the rebuild of that program, um, and I'm fortunate for that kind of being my first stop in the coaching world. Um, and can never you know fully thank them or repay the people. Um, of Albany Academy. Yeah, uh, three years there. You obviously you had success. Uh, obviously, also you know, coaching is in the family blood. Your dad, Rob, coached at Albany West Point for uh, 19 years, and uh, your grandfather was also there uh, for a long time, almost over 30 years. Uh, was coaching always in your in your blood uh, as you got you know, as you went growing up? It, it was. I followed. Um, my dad Rob to the rink every day as a young kid and I guess I didn't really know what I was getting into or what I was signing up for um, and from there I kind of caught the bug you know while playing at Hobart um, I started kind of an elite AAA program for summer hockey um, and that opportunity uh, you know met a lot of great people some kids that played for Albany Academy and that kind of one thing led to another so I'm fortunate to learn from him um, and the game is certainly in our blood. Has uh, your dad given you any kind of advice? Um, well, currently we got him downstairs working on the schedule, so he's uh, he's all hands on deck. But, uh, no, he's he's been nothing but supportive. Um, he encourages me to you know, make my own decisions in the game, learn from success and failure. Um, the one thing that you know, he's really pushed on me in terms of the recruiting piece is finding the right people. You're only as good as the players you bring in at the end of the day, and that's not just guys that can score goals and play at a high level, but especially in building a program, you want the right people in the community waving the flag. You said your dad's working on a schedule. What's the schedule going to look like? Because obviously you're going to be an independent, and a lot of these teams maybe have their schedules already made out for the 2020-2021 season. Uh, as of right now, of course, things could change with the pandemic. So what's the, what's the schedule going to look like? Great. Um, it's, it's going to be strong. Um, the pandemic has kind of changed things, so it's opened some dates up for teams. Um, and I can't really speak to committed dates we have, but a lot of coaches in the Division One circuit have reached out and lended a hand, and I think people will be shocked when we roll it out and see some heavy hitters that we're not afraid to jump into it and play the best of the best. Um, so we're excited. Um, we are working on it here nonstop. I would say our three priorities right now is the schedule, obviously the recruiting piece, and then um, you know the staffing as well, finding the right people to join us in this mission. Hey, I mean, obviously, is Union or, or RPI on a schedule? Um, can't, really, can't really speak to that yet, Ken, but um, as you know, I have a soft spot for the Capital Region, <laughs> so I would love to make a, a trip back up. Yep. Uh, well, speaking of Union, uh, one of your assistant coaches at Wilkes was one, none other than Tyler Hines. And uh, what was it like uh, having Tyler on your staff and then the job he did this past season? Um, unbelievable. Tyler is excellent. Um, you know, I, got, I was fortunate to know him when I was coaching at Albany Academy and watch him at Union. Um, you know, the best trait that Tyler possesses is his loyalty. Uh, he's a loyal friend, actually, last week when I told him the news. Uh, he drove out and uh, loaded up a U-Haul for me. So um, Tyler is his first class. I was so happy to see the Wilkes program have success and him lead the charge. Uh, he always wants to learn and get better, but by the same token, he's not afraid to take chances and 
be his own person and um, he's a guy where the future is really bright for him so I'm super excited to watch his path grow and develop here. Yeah, this past season you had a chance to work with one of the you know, one of the great coaches in Kyle Chalky and a good man. It's also in uh, Donnie Vaughn. Uh, what did you learn from him? Um, a ton. Uh, I was so fortunate for that opportunity. Like you said, there he's an awesome coach. He's been doing it for a long time, but he's even a better person. Um, and so it was a privilege to go into the office every single day and watch you know the way he operated. And again, I think it comes down to something that my dad taught me as well as just being a good person away from the rink, you know, doing the right things. And ultimately, that would lead to, you know, our success and success. So it was a great opportunity this year. I'm very fortunate for that. Well, Tyler, uh, I'm sorry, Brett, uh, thanks for coming on and uh, appreciate it. And uh, good luck. And maybe we'll see you up here playing Union and or RPI. Coming up, I'll speak with ESPN Radio's Freddie Coleman. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and SoundCloud. Hi, this is Miles Reed, editor of the Daily Gazette. These are difficult times for most of us, The coronavirus crisis has been a time of unprecedented upheaval, uncertainty, and fear. What does it all mean for our health, our families, our jobs, and our futures? At the Daily Gazette, our journalists have been working tirelessly to answer these questions and many more that have come up during this whole pandemic. How many people have tested positive locally? How many have died? Has anyone died in the local nursing homes? Now, in these difficult times, we're turning to you to support our work by purchasing a subscription or making a donation to help fund our daily efforts. With your support, these are the questions we're continuing to report on. Every day, our reporters and photographers have been working the streets and the phones to answer these critical questions. And every day, they answer the bell with their timely and well-documented reports from the front lines in the region. Behind the scenes, the rest of our editorial team, including our sports writers, copy editors, and digital producers, have been wholly focused on covering the COVID-19 story. During this critical time, everyone here at the paper is working to provide important news and information to keep the community safe and connected. But our ability to serve our community is being threatened by some economic challenges posed by the pandemic. We have stay-at-home orders, business closures, and school shutdowns, and they're contributing to the massive instability in the local business landscape. Despite all of these changes, the Gazette will remain committed to serving the community for many years to come, just as we've been doing unfailingly for the past 125 years. So please go to thedailygazette.com and donate or purchase a subscription to the Daily Gazette. Thank you. Be well, and please keep reading. Back on the podcast, and ESPN Raiders' Freddie Coleman joins me now to talk uh, a lot of going on in the world of sports and uh, stuff going on socially. Uh, Freddie, how you doing? I'm doing well, my friend. Doing the best I can with what I've got and hanging in there despite all that's going on, my friend. 
doing? How about you? I'm doing well. It's, uh, you know, same thing here. Just staying safe and uh, just uh, trying to make sense of what we're seeing right now, Freddie. Uh, obviously, with the uh, the murder of George Floyd uh, in Minneapolis last week and the riots, the protests uh, in the sports world, we were seeing a lot of the sports uh, uh, figures uh, making comments, teams uh, uh, making. Uh, statements about the situation. You know, just w- what are your thoughts about this, Friday? It's just been a crazy, uh, unfortunate, crazy kind of cu- last couple of weeks. You know, on top of the pandemic. Well, I think I can speak for a lot of people, Ken, and I can't wait till 2020 is over so we can start over again in 2021 because it's been that kind of year inside and outside of sports. And the one thing that has really struck me with everybody's reaction, whether it's been a silent one, whether it's been a loud one, ever since what happened to George Floyd last Monday, is that so many people have come together to speak out against what has been going on for a long time that many people did not want to speak out against. And when you had a chance to have a Tom Brady say something about it, when you had a Trevor Lawrence, the quarterback of Clemson, saying something about it, so many different coaches, so many different sports, no matter if they're male or female, black, white, Hispanic, whatever, the fact that so many people were not going to stay silent or issue a no comment about this issue says volumes for exactly what people saw, the kind of reaction they had, and not just holding those reactions to themselves. Yeah, it just uh, it's a bit amazing. You know, obviously, the sport. Me, all the major sports are involved. Colleges are getting involved. Uh, how does how does sports help heal this country? I think because we've always had sports as an escape from what's going on in our lives, whether it's a good thing or bad things happening in our lives. We've always been able to go and watch a game or involve ourselves with our teams or watch whatever's going on and just leave the earth when it it comes to reality for just a little bit. But Ken, more than ever before, we're starting to see those lines blurred between sports and real life. And I think the one thing that has really struck a lot of people, whether they wanted to admit it or not, is that no longer do you have to put athletes and coaches on a pedestal because guess what? They're humans just like you. They're going to have feelings. They're going to have emotions. And I think this has gone a long way in the last week or so with what happened to George Floyd and the reaction that nobody's going to be able to throw that stick the sports mantra at athletes and coaches ever again. I think those days are long over, especially when more white athletes were able to speak up and not just have black or other minority athletes speak up. They joined that cause. They joined on those lines. And I think that has gone a long, long way that we will never, ever, at least in the near future, the far future, have to hear when athletes speak up that stick the sports response from people out there who just want them to stay in their lane. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think the fact that we, we have to also acknowledge the fact that uh, you know, four years ago, Colin Kaepernick basically got blackballed by the NFL for taking a knee, protesting social justice. And what we saw last Monday with uh, you know Floyd uh, you know, you know, being having a knee put to his neck by a Minneapolis police officer, that, which eventually led to his death. Now you, I think maybe people understand why Colin Kaepernick took a knee. I mean, it seemed like a lot of the is uh, that whole situation with Colin Kaepernick. A lot of people hijacked that, saying, "Well, he was against the military and was res- disrespecting them." It's like it was never anything about the military. It was about social injustice. And you know, Sally Jenkins wrote a powerful column uh, in the Washington Post about it. And um, maybe, it, you know, maybe it's time to look back. Kyle Kaepernick said, "Maybe you were right." Yeah, a lot of people are saying not just maybe he was right, but that he was within his right to do that. And the one thing Ken that's been lost with that whole narrative with Colin Kaepernick when he did that four years ago 
speaking of the NFL, they came out with a statement uh, a couple of days ago, you know, expressing their support for the Floyd family and all that stuff. And then it it, it got a lot of backlash from the players because you know they were thinking, where were you four years ago? Absolutely, and you know, then the players are exactly right in saying that. And here's the thing with that: we know the NFL is going to protect two things: their brand and their money, and they're going to protect their money even more so than protecting their brand. So, if the NFL had not come out with a statement after the NBA did and other people did inside the NFL, they look completely tone deaf. So, you can take that for what it is, and I'm completely, completely understanding where the players are coming from, thinking, you know what? It seems disingenuous that you, as a league, deciding to do. team will take a chance and uh, sign Kaepernick and uh, is he will it means Colin Kaepernick willing to come back to the league to some maybe some brighter news that the fact that the NHL looks like it's going to come back in mid-July and as we're talking here the NBA seems to have a plan in place to bring back the league sometime during the summer. Uh, let's start with the NHL. I mean they're really the first of the major pro leagues that have a plan and they're, they're ready to go and I think it's great. Is it okay for me to say hallelujah in your podcast? Well good I'm going to say it anyway when it comes to the NHL because Kent for the longest time we didn't hear anything from the and all of us, plenty of us, whether we're hardcore hockey fans or just casual fans, were wondering what 
Meanwhile, one sport that we usually have playing at this time of year, Major League Baseball, and they can't seem to get out of their own way. And I'm getting the feeling, Freddie, that we're not going to see a Major League Baseball season. They can't agree on uh, you know, the finances, the paying the players. Uh, they can't seem to agree on how many games they want to play. Uh, Major League, the, the players want to play over 100 games. The owners are looking at a 50-game season. I mean, and baseball is like, why bother at that point? So, uh, I, I'm pessimistic about the baseball season. Uh, yeah, I've been pessimistic for the longest time, and I've always wanted to be a believer that deals get done when you're right up against it. Major League Baseball seems to believe they have all the time in the world that they don't realize they don't have all the time in the world. Because if, whenever, if you decide to have a season, you can finally come together if you're the Major League Baseball Player Association and Commissioner Rob Manfred and the owners of Major League Baseball, then you're going to be smack dab in the middle of what should have been your time with the NBA having a finish to their season, the NHL having a finish to their season, college football and the National Football League getting started. Can't forget about MLS, they're going to have a season. The WNBA, they're going to have a season. All of a sudden, all this goodwill that you thought that you may have been able to accumulate and it's really started to wash away with the Houston Astros and that investigation we saw happen the aftermath of that. And now you put this on top of it when it comes to Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball, that sense of urgency, or should I say that lack of sense of urgency, it's really appalling to me as a baseball fan because, Ken, baseball is the first sport that I ever loved. I grew up being a New York Mets fan and being excited to the moon when they not only got to the World Series that year in 1973 when nobody thought that, but they were able to push the Oakland Athletics, one of the great teams in the history of baseball, to a seventh game. That's when I really fell in love not only with the New York Mets, but also Major League Baseball. And it seems that time and time again, when I want to keep baseball close to my heart, close to my chest, Things like this happen that push me further and further away from baseball. And if I feel that way at 54 years of age, I can't even imagine what a younger person, a lot younger than me, is feeling about a sport that maybe they want to care about. But baseball keeps showing to everybody that they don't care as much about this sport being relevant or staying relevant. So why would they expect anybody to feel the love for baseball? Because it seems like they don't love themselves inside baseball. Yeah, you remember 1994, the strike season that ended? Uh, the cancellation of the playoffs in the World Series and uh, how much bitterness there was among the fans. It's, you know, slowly, you know, thanks to Kyle Ripken, uh, the fans came back with when he was uh, completing his uh, surpassing Lou Gehrig for the Ironman streak. But there's really nobody out there that could, I don't think, that could save the game right now if they do not, if they don't play this year and uh, they do come back in 2021. I mean, I don't think there's some uh, really a a guy out there. I mean, maybe a Mike Trout, maybe a Bryce Harper, Harper, but. I, I think baseball really going to be could be end up maybe falling below the NHL as far as in, in the top four category. And Ken, I completely, I'm completely on board with you, and here's why: because unlike back in 1994, when 1995 baseball came back, they won't have steroids and balls flying out of the park to bring fans back to the stadium. They're not going to have a Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, Barry Bonds situation where playing people knew what those guys were doing, but they were so desperate to have fans come back and be excited about this sport, that plenty of people inside of baseball, whether they covered the sport, whether they were playing the sport, whether they were managers of the sport, looked the other way. 
we're at least we're seeing some sports back. We you know, we're seeing we see NASCAR has been racing uh, over in Germany. The Bundesliga has been going on. I've been, I've been watching that. This sort of reminds me of the days of watching soccer made in Germany on PBS with Toby Charles. I don't know if you remember yeah. that uh, back in those days, but uh, uh, at least we're seeing some sports. And uh, I mean NASCAR is getting, I think getting some decent ratings. So we're seeing what it's like without fans and. I, I, I like the Bundesliga. You know, they're piping in some noise and make it sound like there are fans there. So we're, we're experiencing it. It, means, it does still seem a little strange, but I think once you watch it, you get, you get used to it. Yeah, and here's one thing about that with fanless games, and I still believe at a certain point, not just in college football, but also in the NFL, that they're going to let fans back in, not to fill out the stadium, but maybe 15,000 or 20,000 there. I could see that happening with certain college football it's a certain NFL team. But I think once we see sports back on TV and they're live sports, and it could be an NBA game, NHL game, football game, etc., that's going to supersede not having fans there. Now, of course, it's going to affect the players because you're so used to walking into a stadium or running into a stadium or running into an arena, and you're feeling that electricity, you're feeling that energy from the crowd, whether you're the home team or whether you're the visiting team. So that's a big factor. And that's a factor that's not going to be there when sports starts rolling again later on this year. But I will say this, at least for this year, just having live sports back on TV will be enough of a salve for any major league owner, for any major league sport, for any major league commissioner. But here's the one thing, Ken. All sports have told fans that they have power. And I'm telling every fan out there, do not give back that power. Every sport has told everybody, man, we need the fans. We have to have the fans. LeBron James said it early when the NBA was first shut down because of COVID-19. We hear from time and time again that there are no fans in the stadium in college football. They could potentially lose $4 billion if that needs to not having a season. What those sports have told you fans, once and for all, you have the power. Do not give back that power. Yeah, you want to be in the building? Absolutely. But from this point on, make sure that it is on your terms, not on their terms. But we'll see how that's going to happen, Ken, because we can say that now. But I'm a typical fan. If I get a chance to go to a game and I feel safe, guess what I'm going to do? I'm probably going to go to that stadium. I'm probably going to go to that arena. I may have to convince my wife that this is a good idea, and that's another conversation. I guarantee I'm not the only person in that similar situation if that happens. But fans, once and for all, they better realize their power and don't give it back when this pandemic slows down and stops and people are allowed back into arenas and stadiums once again. Yeah. To wrap things up, I know we talked uh, after the first two episodes of The Last Dance. I tell you, Fred, I, I was just amazed what uh, that whole ten-part series, and it was well done. And it, the thing that really stuck out to me was after at the end of part seven, when Jordan got so emo- Michael Jordan got so emotional, he goes break, and then that was the end of that uh, episode. But uh, your thoughts about the entire uh, ten-part series? Uh, it was fun. I, that's a ten-part series again. I, I compare that to Ken Burns' Jazz on PBS, which is probably my favorite documentary of all time. I have probably seen the Jazz series at least 30 times. I can't stop watching it, and it came out close to 20 years ago. That's what the last dance is going to to represent to me. And there's another sports documentary, When We Were Kings, about Muhammad Ali took on George Foreman. I can watch that all the time. Mm -hmm. I'm the same with the last dance. I think the only thing I wish could have happened with the last dance was that Jerry Krause was still alive to speak on his behalf because he clearly got a bad rap. But Jerry Krause showed the people that 
that's the kind of impact that that had on so many different people, whether you're a Jordan fan, a basketball fan, or you're just somebody that was looking for an interesting storyline, and you got 10 episodes of that with The Last Dance, and it was a great job at ESPN and everybody involved putting this together. Yeah, that was a great job. I, and honestly, I think if everything had been normal and it, you know, that the series had played out, they were going to show it during the NBA Finals, I don't think it would have had the impact that it did uh, with everybody everybody really not not much what to watch on TV. I think this is probably more impactful than uh, I think anybody would have realized. Yeah, I'm with you on that one, It was the perfect storm in terms of we were dying for something to watch because we didn't have live sports on television and we didn't know what the target date was going to be for live sports to come back. So I'm completely, completely in agreement with you that that if that wasn't a, if that was around when everything was going on, it would have had an impact, but not to the point where it was being talked about on so many different platforms outside of sports. I give ESPN a lot of credit by moving up the date because it was very easy to say, well, we have a set date. That's what we're going to do it at the NBA Finals. They realized that they needed something. ESPN as a company needed something that people were going to gravitate towards without having highlights of live sports. And the fact that they moved that up and then got that kind of reaction week after week after week, it was a stroke of genius putting it together. It was a stroke of genius making it to move it up and get people what they wanted and not have to wait until June to get it. Well, Freddie, appreciate a few minutes as always, and uh, look forward to doing this again next month. And uh, stay safe. Hopefully next time we're talking, we're talking nothing but sports. Yeah, no doubt about that, Ken. Always a pleasure to talk with you, my friend. You continue to be well and be safe. All right, thanks, Freddie. You too. That's Freddie Coleman. Uh, we're back wrap up the podcast in just a moment. I'm Dr. Howard Zucker, New York State's Health Commissioner. I'm calling on all New Yorkers to do their part to slow the spread of coronavirus. Everyone, even young people and those who feel well, stay home. If you must go outside, stay six feet from others. This will ensure everyone who needs hospital care can get it. This virus spreads even without symptoms. Stay home and stay safe. Be a part now so we can all be together later. Stay informed at health.ny.gov coronavirus. to wrap up the podcast keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic i want to thank all the doctors nurses and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic we appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time that wraps up another edition of the parting shots podcast i'd like to thank mike emrick brett riley and freddie coleman for coming on the show the Parting Shots podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and SoundCloud. Subscribe today. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette Newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, and stay safe.